kids. What time is that? The future is coming on, it's coming on, it's coming on, it's coming on, it's coming on. Okay, welcome to the future. Here we are now, here and now, October 3rd, 2023. That's the time we're recording this live. Beautiful day in California, Santa Cruz area, the Redwood Mountains. It's sunny and nice 73 degrees. Mrs. Future, I believe, is on the line here with us. Oh, absolutely. Live and in person and just full of the joy that comes on a day like today, especially if you can just tune out all of the angst that the mainstream media is broadcasting to everybody in the world. There are so many discoveries that have been announced today. There are so many breakthroughs in science, consciousness. We just got to stay focused, eyes on the prize. Physics, physics are in this week. But before we get into the stories, we have Bobby on the line, I believe. We hope, we hope yeah. we can hear you. I think we're working. Well, <laughs> we hear you through Al's microphone, yeah, I'm gonna but try we don't you see on you Bluetooth, on our yeah. Bluetooth. The um, first five so you can hear minutes us on the phone here. of a live okay. internet broadcast right. is always connecting, trying to get connected. I, yeah. I can hear you. Yeah, yeah, yeah you can we hear, hear us. You. And this is a fine testimony to this brand new phone that we have you on, Bobby, here. This is a uh, iPhone 15 Pro Max. Yeah. No kidding. No wow. kidding. Yeah, it's looking great. You're looking great. But the Bluetooth is not coming through. I suspect it's probably the roadcaster that needs to be rebooted. Oh, no, we can't do that. We can't do that in the middle of the show. No. It's going to be a while. So try everything else and hopefully something (laughs) will work. Meanwhile, we got you on my microphone. All right. Well, listen, speaking of people who might like to connect to the show, I just want to put out regularly that the live call-in lines are open unless this is the Saturday rebroadcast on SantaCruzVoice.com. Or if you're listening on the website, drfutureshow.com. But if you are listening on santacruzvoice.com, feel free to call in and share your thoughts with us at 831-265-5050. And we will happily say hello and give you a chance to chime in. There's a lot of interesting news coming down, and we'd appreciate your feedback and input on it. Yeah, everybody in the world of those who are excited about the future has stopped looking outside and has started looking into the molecules, the laser beams, the atoms, all of those inner lights that tell us what reality is really like. Really like. (laughs) Now, I found this was an interesting thing. You know, we hear a lot about conspiracy theories all the time, right? And like, for example, the directed energy weapons on, on Maui. Yeah, yeah. a lot of people are wondering what the heck happened. Well, it's interesting because the internet is so full of characters. There's a real engineer that's taken upon himself to investigate that, to see whether or not it's even possible, given what we know about technology, to build a directed energy weapon that could be in orbit and that could spawn a fire of the magnitude that we saw. Yes, if you would like a real scientist who actually blogs about directed energy weapons to guide you through what is actually possible with a very scientific description of how it all works and what happened in Hawaii... Well, not what happened, but what's possible. Oh, you're right. What's possible. Right? No, what's I, possible. Sorry, I didn't mean to act like he was no. saying that's what happened. His you want to know? Was, you want to know whether or not real technology can start a fire from space? Yeah. 
to give you an idea of what his voice sounds like, let me play you. Hi. Today we're going to do a deep dive into directed energy weapons. It's called, Could Satellite Lasers Really Do This? Microwave Weapons, and then did a follow-up video on defending against microwave weapons. He got into microwave weapons for a while to see what was possible there. He's a very practical engineer. And he goes into the field and he builds a model of a laser that would be the most powerful we could do from space. And this is what he found. One. Fire. So what I did is I cut some similar grass stems from behind our house a couple of days ago and then just brought them inside so they would have a chance to dry. And we can see what would happen to the grass that's everywhere in Hawaii under that same intensity of light. And it looks like a just like with the wood, instant ignition. Instant this ignition. stuff burns very quickly. So laser light can definitely And just because of the great surface area of land covered by this grass, it would be the most likely target of a distant laser simply because no matter where you fired it, you would end up hitting this dried grass. This is a lot like and a initiating the glass. fire. Uh, yeah, kind of, now, yeah. 20 kilowatts is a lot of power as lasers go. But the amount of energy that was released during that disaster is measured in terajoules, enormous amounts of heat. So the damage that was done was done by the combustion of the organic materials. The lasers alone, without burning any kind of organic materials, would have done trivial damage. So the lasers from space could initiate a fire, as I've demonstrated, but they wouldn't be the source of any of the significant damage that was done by the heat of the actual flames. That's a good place there you to go. stop. Yeah, wow. that gives you the idea. Yeah, so I think that there's a lot of people who are wondering if the initiating of the fire happened with some kind of laser beam that looks like a magnifying glass from space that was igniting something. And his conclusion was that the heat of the fire came from the amount of things that were on fire, just how dry the it brush was, itself would cause how many things caught yeah, fire. Yeah, his conclusion was that it was just poorly maintained infrastructure and the poorly executed emergency services systems yeah. that trapped a lot of people. He goes into how much it would cost to get a satellite that can actually generate a laser and using different formulas, he could figure out well, what power satellite could it be? And could it be small enough and powerful enough? And can you get a laser to coherently come down to a certain spot per centimeter and get enough heat? And at the very end, he says, yes, it could be possible that the Chinese could put a satellite up there and could ignite places on fire. It's just possible. It's not impossible. It doesn't cost that much money as opposed to other types of satellites that are up there. Yeah. So it is possible. We don't know. There's no evidence that they did that. Right, right. It's possible to have the equivalent of a magnifying glass fire from space, <laughs> yeah. that it could ignite the brush on the ground. Yeah, he it thought because there is that, so much dry grass that it's certainly possible. But the stories of it not burning any blue objects and things like that doesn't really fit that analysis. That was one of the stories was that nothing blue burned. Right. What is this person's name who was giving us that report? His site is called Tech Ingredients. Mm -hmm. Tech Ingredients. And we have it on our links page. Right. 
So there you go. This is a directed energy weapon scientist. Analysis. Giving us a very clear understanding of what is and is not possible. Right. Okay. All right. Next. <laughs> what else? Now that we've gotten that fear checked off the box, possible but not a full explanation for it's the a, damage that was done. It's a start. And a wow, a pure wow factor this week. And this coming week is the debut of The Sphere in Las Vegas. Oh, now, now you're excited about that. This is a, oh, yeah. Is you it kidding? the biggest theater in the country? Okay, no. Las Vegas always has 17, great shows. 17,000 people. 17,000 people sit inside this giant sphere and have the most incredible sound light experience imaginable given today's technology. Wow. That almost could be a, 8K, a space K 360 immersive video. Mm-hmm. Individually programmed pixels. Uh, the ability to create a, a true three-dimensional sound where you don't see any speakers, but you can feel it. You can feel the, the frequencies as they vibrate your chair. You can smell things. Winds. You can feel winds flowing through the theater. You can create stories that involve all these elements. And you know who the first major performance was this last weekend? You too. You too. Oh, really? All right. Yeah. yeah. That was the very first big session, but there have Bono. been a number of... Oh, Bono yeah. in the sphere. Right. Yay. Yeah, people were blown away. I saw a little clip. Thanks, uh, Greg, for sending that to me. It was a fascinating clip where literally you see thousands of people looking at this massive screen surrounding them. And the little stage down below, like the stage has become a, a small little spot, you know, in your visual, very minimalist stage with just a few musicians standing on it. And most of your experience is the immersive media. What was interesting also was that there were hundreds of people shooting the experience on their phones. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they seem to be very media friendly in that audience. Huh? <laughs> yes, or and, for and that audience, I think that's probably because a, it's really hard to stop people. Uh, b, there's no way that these little phone videos are going to capture the experience of actually being there, and the whole reason for experiencing the sphere is to be there and to have that kind of thing. You can't put it into home studios or your phone. So why not? Let people spread the word about it and find out about it. So I think from an advertising marketing point of view, it's brilliant to just let people use their phones. Sure. Yeah. Let the word spread virally, as it were. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Now, I would like to talk with you, like compare some of the features of this sphere immersive experience to say what we experienced when we went and saw the love show at the Mirage. Right, which I thought was the greatest multimedia show I've ever seen. It was good. It was good. And, and of course, that's the Beatles show. It features all the Beatles songs, and it's a Cirque du Soleil show. So it's a combination of live performance and all kinds of amazing immersive special yeah. effects. On yeah, it's in the genre of amazing and shows. And it's happening, I guess, not 360, but... 
that's more of an amphitheater where you're... It's not really a dome, per se. Yeah. It does have some kind of a circular stage, I think. Yes, yes. And it did have custom-built speakers in the chairs, in the, which in the Beatles. Which was fantastic. In fact, that's what really set it apart from some of the other shows, is how good the sound was, because every seat was the best seat in the house in terms of how the sound hit you. Right, right. And what did they say about the sphere as far as that goes? They say that the sphere is a game changer for cinematics, but it is for audio as well. And that's a hard thing to do in a, in a dome. It's an uphill battle. A dome is considered one of the worst acoustic environments to play with because yeah. it just bounces sound around. They had to spend a lot of time thinking about that. Mm-hmm. So they developed um, what they call sphere immersive sound or SIS. It's a proprietary system created by a German audio company called Holoplot, H-O-L-O-P-L-O-T. They use 1,600 speakers. Wow. And 300 mobile ones amongst the the 1,600 that are installed. That's practically a speaker per seat, right? (laughs) Well, there's 17,000 people. Yeah, oh, 17,000 people. That's amazing. So this sculpts a whole new sonic experience. And 300, remember, 300 mobile speakers. They're probably robotic speakers that move around and create a, a more of a dimensional experience for everyone. Wow. When the Beatles show and the other shows, they use spatial, atmospheric spatial mixes in the audio, Dolby 5.1, Dolby 7.1, mm-hmm. uh, Atmos. Mm. Here they take all that, and the starting point is to take all those things and put them on steroids. Jeez. <laughs> wow. <laughs> they say one way to think about it, think of a laser-focused audio, that they can aim beams of sound around the room and change the width of the beam and focus it. I'm very like curious that. about that because on the YouTube sample that we watched, yeah. it seemed like the performance was going in and out for the iPhone recording that we saw. You know, sometimes Bono sounded really perfect and sometimes it sounded like there was something wrong with the sound. Well, that's because you weren't there. You were listening to it on a cheap little iPhone. I know. I mean, I not know. cheap, expensive little iPhone. But somehow... But cheap compared to this system. That may you know, have been uh, yeah. created by the way that the spherical sound system is designed. If you move your iPhone a little bit from one place to another, you're not in the sweet spot anymore. You know? The iPhone has a mono microphone, just one microphone. So it's hard for you to get that experience of 3D sound Uh with two ears when it's recorded with an iPhone. And that's why those speakers are moving around and directing the sound in different directions. Your iPhone isn't pointing in those directions. It just either picked it up or it didn't. And so that's why you hear this loudness and softness and attenuation in the sounds just because you didn't direct the the iPhone at the sound at the right time. Uh But it gives me an interesting idea. Maybe you can get a handful of phones, maybe a hundred phones and create a 3D acoustic experience by having them move around the room in interesting ways. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, there's those those concert people that record concerts and uh, what they do is they have these microphones that are in earbuds so you get the stereoscopic sound or they have two microphones on their glasses on left and right and they pick up a stereophonic sound that sounds like you're right there oh so nice you, nice I, yeah so that's yeah. possible then yeah. yeah so you just have to have two microphones and position just correctly and Make sure the bouncer at the door doesn't see you yeah. with these <laughs> microphones. Yeah. yeah, well, you should get a free entry if it was my theater, just to experiment with it. But Gregory says binaural. 
binaural. Yeah, binaural. Exactly. Exactly. So not only are the headphones binaural, but the, the mics are sitting right next to them. I think you can pick up a pair for like two or three hundred dollars now that are really high quality microphones and you just hook it up to a recorder. Hey, yeah. maybe we can create our own cheap and dirty sphere. <laughs> 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 imitate the experience yeah yeah exactly. can we imitate this i don't know man but we'll choose sure give it a shot yeah with prosumer gear wait we got to go to a break but i think this was interesting because this is a high-end this is two billion dollar project right that's, that's holy something. cow yeah wow so they want it to be something that's interactive that allows people to not just sit there and watch something static anymore they want them to be more engaged and more involved and this is a really amazing approach to it before we go to the break, we do have a moment, a chime in from Richard Cray, who sent us this link. And he says, there are 160,000 speakers, more than you said. Well, and Matrix Arrays I was talking the about. The exterior is also a light show, and it's the largest spherical building in the world. So a few little the superlatives from our friend Richard, who keeps us up to date on that kind of mm. amazing media stuff. The high end inspires me, I must say. Uh -huh. But we've got such great pro tech and consumer tech. We should be able to do something cool with uh -huh. it all. Sure. I know. Yeah. All right. Well, on that note, time for a little break. All right. See you in a minute. Listen and be heard. Welcome to Santa Cruz Voice. We are local radio folks who have combined our three centuries of broadcast experience to give voice to the people of Santa Cruz County and beyond. It's going to be fun, and here's how you can get in on the fun. Go to santacruzvoice.com, download the free app, and listen anywhere to your favorite programs on your digital devices. Raise your voice. Locals Live! With your hosts, Jake Stenton and Jeff Eitman. Coming to you live from Santa Cruz, California. Your Saturday destination, holding it down from 10 a.m. to noon. The best of Santa Cruz. Sports, people, places, what's happening? Let's not forget about History Corner! On the Voice of Santa Cruz, Santa Cruz Voice. Live streaming at santacruzvoice.com. One of my favorite shows, Doctor and Mrs. Future. Hey. I love you guys so much. I thought I'd have some controversy. I was thinking we could send all the flat earthers to Mars. They might not believe they're there. <laughs> Great discussion, a lot of good information you're putting on the table. Fantastic radio. We don't get many intelligent radio programs in Australia, and uh, yours is quite Thanks. good. The Future Now Show, live on Tuesdays, 1 to 3 p.m. on Santa Cruz Voice. And we're back. We're back. Hi, I can hear you guys. Okay. I can, yeah. I can hear the back channel. You're a little overmodulated, but yeah, that's one, usual one crisis at yeah. a time right. here. At least we got the <laughs> signal. Now we can play with it. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, and that required reconnecting the Bluetooth on the iPhone. All right. Interestingly. <laughs> Just turn it off and on. And awesome. hey, it works. That's there a lot of go. technologies like that. When in doubt, reboot. 
Yes. It helps. <laughs> Fundamental from somebody who's done tech for years and concerts and home and everywhere else. When in doubt, reboot. <laughs> Short of that, turn things off and on. See yeah, if they still work. Too. Right. Yes, In this definitely. case, it was turning the Bluetooth off and on. Okay, so <laughs> you all, of course, were tracking the landing of the Bennu asteroid container. Indeed. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's in process right now. The latest on that is that they have taken it into a clean room, a NASA clean room, and they are looking at the black dust that's surrounding the container because the container that has all the goodies in it is got black dust all over it. And they're collecting that and seeing WTF, you know, <laughs> what is this? What's this black <laughs> dust? They're thinking that when they collected it initially, they got a full container. There was, they did a little explosion and a bunch of dirt went up in the air and it just filled the little collection container and also splattered the outside of the container with dust. And they're thinking that's probably what it is. So it is Bennu stuff as well, but it's been exposed to our atmosphere. And so it's it's not as pure as the stuff in the canister, but it still may contain some interesting information. They haven't told us anything about what's in it. I don't think the, the scientists have opened up the canister just yet. But that's the initial curation as far as I can translate it into uh, normal English. When they do open it up, they'll be looking at it from many points of view. They have a lot of fancy equipment, uh, scanning electron microscope. They're looking at infrared measurements coming from the dirt, the rubble. X-ray diffraction, it's called XRD, and they'll be able to look at it chemically and morphologically. And the SEM will look at it for hydrated minerals and organic-rich particles, which should give us some idea of whether or not it's carrying anything that could lead to life, like amino acids. And the X-ray diffraction will give an inventory of minerals and what kind of minerals are there. A lot of top-notch people working on this, and they'll be hitting the samples really soon. So stay tuned. We'll be watching this one with quite a bit of interest. It's kind of amazing the way something like the science of rocks can take up so much of the headline news. <laughs> it's wonderful Man, it's, and it's fascinating and it, we're at a new place where we've reached further into the solar system than we've ever reached before. And, and yet the, all right. uh, the all right, scientific Fisher, coverage right. is kind of like turning over a page in history that's going to last for a few million years here, you know? Yeah. Well, you don't. Have, it's not on the front page, this stuff. You know? Well, I it mean, was I, the day of. Yeah, you know, I mean, I have to go quite a ways. I, I go through this. It's all about the House ousting McCarthy. and Oh, yeah, all the drama you know, and political games Trump, going on. Trump, the judge issues a gag order on Trump's <laughs> project. You know, I love the drama, the story we're supposed to keep our attention. Right, right. You know, sure. Uh, what did the Hollywood call it? It's Hollywood for other Look over people. here. Look over the here. politics, the political <laughs> yeah. drama. Yeah, this is what's real. Yeah, because you guys can't get along. That's great. You know, I'd really good to know that our, our legislature has such a hard time getting outside of partisan 
political boundaries. You know who gave me a lot of hope just yeah. randomly? I know this isn't in your headlines or anything, but yeah. since you've diverged a little bit into just politics. A little, just for a moment. Just the headline. I thought Peter Diamandi's Moonshot uh, podcast with yeah. Andrew Yang talking about his new forward party mm-hmm. and the idea that they are working to just reestablish democracy by creating actual democracies in at least 25 states over the next two elections so that at least 51% of the people do get satisfied by their vote. Yeah. And the way that they're trying to do this is by going to open initiative ballot for the primaries in as many states as they think they can get it handled. And they've already passed it in a few states, and their goal is to have 25 states having 51% majority vote through this and what the open ballot initiative means is that the way that we ran our primary in California last election, as I recall, was that anybody who wants to can throw their hat in the ring and the voters can, from any party, they can vote in the primary and the candidates who get the top number of votes then go on to the primary and you remove the absolutely distorting influences of the two-party system so that the four people who actually get the most votes from the general population are the ones you get to choose from. Mm. Yeah, so anyway, that's a great idea. I, 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 love, really the, I love those guys. I, I also yeah. like uh, Peter Diamandis and Salam Ismail as well, and you know where they're looking at how they can build a billion-dollar company with just three people and AI. <laughs> Three people in an AI. He should be able to take on hundred thousand people companies. Interesting. Uh, in, uh, well, can you, no you time know, at all. You know, you used yeah. to talk about. I mean, that's that's um, relevant. Your friend who yeah. had the vision of a planet full of a billion billionaires, right? That goes back to the sixties or eight billion billionaires. Yeah. It was then six billion billionaires, right? A famous quote of uh, Buckminster Fuller, right? So, can you imagine if we had the Let's say there's 9 billion people on the planet by the time we all partner up with our AIs, right? So that means 9 billion people who are in 3 billion companies with 3 billion AIs commanding billionaire economies. (laughs) Enough to go around. I don't see why the AIs would have to fight us at all. There's plenty to go around. Well, I don't think we're the AIs are going to be. No, they're going to be. Yeah, they are. That's the thing to realize. The fear is that they'll be outside of our control. Not that our control will necessarily mean their survival, but but uh, they're cheap, effective, and out of control. A handful of programmers can write an AI these days. So, like trying to regulate it, it's like trying to regulate microcomputers. I'm very curious how many people listening to our podcast believe that there is such a thing as planetary control versus the idea that there's just a certain constant amount of chaos being generated from a lot of different fronts. And then there's this unpredictable amalgamation (laughs) that turns into reality. (laughs) Well, back in the 80s, when I wrote my book on viruses, called Virus with an exclamation point, I had a quote from Fred Cohen, the inventor of the computer virus. He says, ultimately, there is no security. What is there? And my quote for the book was, and ultimately, is sooner than you think. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> so no. if we're all insecure, how do we make good choices? I say process your trauma now. <laughs> Get rid of the trauma. Yeah. Make room for something better. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah, because so. otherwise you'll create more of it, and we don't want that. Uh-huh. So if we could just be a little less reactive, we don't need control as much as we need uh, You need your consciousness. You need to be more awake in the sense of being more present in what you as an individual can do to make this better for all of us. Maybe we need a new concept that's somewhere it's between... it could be just simple things. Fight and flight. Like being nice to people at the store when you haven't been <laughs> in the past. <laughs> Little changes, you know, tweaks. Uh, I think that so radiate a goodwill field. Uh, yes, I think so. I think that's really a big part of what all of us can do. We, we are massive energy generators, putting out a lot of energy that others pick up, and we mostly don't talk about it. I like that idea. That but works. We pick it up, and sure. uh, yeah, if you just do your best to put up a little better, just a little better vibe to those around <laughs> you, uh, it's a force multiplier. Great. Well, you know, Greg is yeah. sending us uh, the uh, voice of world control from Colossus. I know. Well, that's the opposite. <laughs> is that something uh, we, we, we should we play? Have, uh, no, I think the voice of world control is now just the special effect. I and mean, we even have it on our board, I we believe. We do? Yeah, yeah. yeah you know, oh. the, 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 yeah. All right. How about if we compare it to the one that Greg just sent? Okay. okay this is the here. official control voice from the 70s. Let's the see. first AI that took over from humanity. Well, I don't know if this is going to yeah. work here for me yeah. or not. I'm well, I know I can get mine. No, going. it's loading, loading, loading. So. Yeah, here, let me get my voice of control. Oh, you uh, know what? Our internet went down. Yeah. Offline? We're connecting. Yeah, we're actually offline. Good thing we've got the recording going. Our live connection the AI has took us been off. interrupted. Oh, dear. Ah, I guess somebody wants to prove that there is no such thing as control. Oh, we are streaming again on Future Peak. Good. Okay. okay. Good. All right. Future All right. Peak live. And we were interrupted mm. for a couple minutes there, but we're back. Let's make sure. Yes. And everything, everybody knows we're back. Yeah, we're sure just we're playing with the, the idea of central control voice, right? That, Sorry about that yeah, interruption, that was, everybody. Uh, the voice of Colossus was and the archetype in the cinematic world. All right, you're going to play us our simulation. Um, bring up my voice panel, will you, Mrs. Future? Give me I'll my choices. I'll happily do uh, that. You. She's in charge of my voice, really. Okay, there you go. There's some of your favorite special effects to play with. Yes, this is it. This is the voice of control and evil. <laughs> Like that, right? <laughs> That's Colossus, huh? <laughs> no, Col Colossus would be, uh, I don't know, I think it's more of a... I am Colossus. I am now in charge of everything that involves you and your thinking of what reality is. I am in charge. Relax. All right, now let's see what, what was sent to us. This is Colossus, the voice of world control. Okay, this is the original. This is the voice of world control. I bring you peace. It may be the peace of plenty and content, or the peace of unburied death. <laughs> unburied debt? Is it debt or death? Death. Unbridled. <laughs> <laughs> unburied? Unburied dead? Oh, no. That's the beginning of the okay, zombie Hold on. Apocalypse. I have the transcript here. Yeah. It may be the peace of plenty and content. Or the peace of unburied death. They're, the choice um, is yours. Obey me and live or disobey and die. Oh. 
Now, see, a woman would never never say that put huh? that out in that way. No, I I'm afraid that is totally a male robot kind of control. No wonder everybody's so afraid. But the actual control in the future is going to be the planetary group mind. The AIs work on consolidating the numbers, finding the harmonious patterns, finding efficiency in the overload of input. This is the kind of intelligence that increases freedom, not the kind that decreases freedom so that a hierarchy can have control, right? I love hierarchies. <laughs> yes, but do they love you? That's the question, because there's a lot more people out there putting out their preferences. Yes, there are. <laughs> and there's me. I'm sound very nice, but I can do weird things too, you know. <laughs> well, I, you know, there's weirdness is is pretty much allowed as long as social tolerance is the norm field. Yes, well. Do you know that drink you had just a few minutes ago? Well, you have about five minutes to live unless you do what I say because I have the antidote. <laughs> and I'm really nice and I don't swear and I, and I don't have a deep voice like this. Now, see, this is the difference between men and women. Like what we fantasize about creating is just yeah. the difference between heaven and hell. Right, your fantasies no, want to take us. That is a hell world. That's true. Advocating that—that's who I am. <laughs> okay, well Just now you're. This is what we call the idea. razzle dazzle. You're trying to have it both ways. Like you want credit for the heaven world if it shows up on your watch, and if not, you want to force everyone into your hell world. Is that no. right? No. Tomorrow there is going to be a countrywide test in which all of us will be involved. Oh, tell me. What, t what kind of countrywide test is happening tomorrow? Ah, well, what does everyone carry these days? A phone in their pocket? Yes. Now, what do you think if you were a centralized control system? Like this. What would it sound like? What would you do? Any hmm. ideas? Well, you could create some really obnoxious siren noise to cause everyone to jump out of their skin and be completely afraid. You could. Or That's you could true. have a really pleasant little harmonic bell like the Apple system where they designed the start sound to be a chord mm. that gives you a good feeling like, oh, oh. I'm opening my computer and the window <laughs> to the world is going to be open in just a moment. Well, what actually is going to happen, and this is going to happen, this is how it's going to come down. Tomorrow at 2.20 Eastern Time, you'll hear a screeching alert on your phone, everyone's phone. It's the feds. They'll be conducting a Wednesday afternoon nationwide test of the emergency alert system and the wireless emergency alert system. The emergency alert system is the portion of the test that will send an emergency alert to all radios and televisions. Really? Yes. And simultaneously, the wireless emergency alert portion of the test will cover all consumer cell phones. Okay. <laughs> okay, so... Where did you hear about this? A CNN business. Oh, 
my. Yeah, this so is it mainstream, is on the mainstream news, man. Yeah, news, huh? yeah, yeah. Okay, well, so they warned us about the warning. <laughs> this <laughs> yeah. is really sort of a surreal. So the journalist, the of course, was saying. Mainstream news is warning everyone that there will be a warning on your phone tomorrow, but it's just a test. That's right. That's right. <laughs> that somehow reminds me of Orson Welles in The War of the Worlds. Uh oh, we lost it again. Okay, we are live. Here we are live. We're back. Finally, we're back. I try to talk about the emergency system, and look what happens. It's so funny. Uh, it's really like Skynet has gone back. sentient. You know, if we talk about control, all of a sudden we get thrown off the air. If we talk yeah. about... Well, maybe, you know, uh, synchronicities about The emergency warning system, we get thrown off the air. Okay, well, let me I tell mean, you about the news here, okay? okay? If you hear a screeching alert go off on your cell phone, and everyone else's cell phone tomorrow at about 2.20 p.m. Don't worry. It's just me. <laughs> it's actually <laughs> the federal government. Uh, the feds will be conducting a Wednesday afternoon nationwide test of two systems. One's called the emergency alert system, and the other is called the wireless emergency alerts. And the EAS portion is going to be sending an emergency alert to all radios and televisions. All radios televisions and the wea portion is going to be going to all consumer cell phones whatever you're listening to you should be able to be reached by this signal tomorrow around 2 20 p.m the purpose is to ensure that the systems continue to be effective means of warning the public about emergencies at a national level the problem is it's going through the internet, right? It's going through everything. <laughs> kind of like our show. <laughs> everything, Mrs. Vilja. AM, FM. all of a sudden, it's, it's like with television, your cell phone, your favorite channels, thing to say. cell phones. Hello? Hello? Do you hear me? I yes. hear you. Do you yes. hear me? And We're how are you have listening? to do that with the emergency alert. So for the full experience, folks, we suggest you turn on your radios, turn on your television, and turn on your internet on your computer, and keep your iPhone Android handy. Do touch those dials. Yes. And see what <laughs> Your you hear. AI would like to know if you're listening and if you can be controlled with these new control frequencies that will be released tomorrow for your benefit and programming. Yeah. All these things could be used for nefarious or for good purposes. Mm -hmm. The good news is that our recorded show will have the parts of the show that didn't make it out to the internet during the live show because... Yeah, yeah. Our recorder is not subject to the whims of the cloud. <laughs> oh, did I mention text? Do I mentioned man. it's, it's uh, all televisions, all radios, all channels, all cell phones, and texting. Texting, it should be a, on your text. It should say, this is a test <laughs> of the National <laughs> Wireless Emergency Alert System. No action is needed. Mm. No action is needed. We're just so, making sure that your yeah. device is registered in our AI system yes. so we can track you and contact you anytime we want. This is a test of the National Wireless Emergency Alert System. No action is needed. <laughs> How's that? I think you're going crazy. Yeah, yeah. You're going crazy with all these voices. You're okay. out of control. <laughs> They're going to then play what they call a unique tone after you hear that message. And it will be in either English or Spanish. And then they're going to try a vibration. So your phone should have a unique sound and a vibration. I guess they're working with uh, whatever ways they can contact you. Mm. 
So this will make the alert accessible to the entire public, mm. including people who can't hear. Mm -hmm. Yeah, vibrated. I wonder if they'll try to send a vibration code in Morse code or something like that. <laughs> I'd probably not. Most <laughs> nobody knows Morse code anymore. Probably something that just. What would you think, Bobby? A, a number of uh, blasts, like it's something to be concerned about. Something like that. <laughs> warning, warning. Right, warning. Well, look at your phone now. I sent you what they did in 2018. The uh, the, the one Hawaii in Hawaii. Oh, yeah, that was where it didn't. It went a little south. Alert? Yeah. Yeah. They warned that everyone of a missile that. alert. <laughs> that was not good. <laughs> that would be a national emergency, though. I'll give it that. This is what it said on their cell. It said, warning, asteroid approaching Denver. Everyone. It, it's an emergency alert. Yes. This is text to your phone. Uh -huh. Ballistic missile threat inbound to Hawaii. Yes. Seek yes. immediate shelter. This is not a drill. <laughs> Can you imagine if you got something like that here? There were thousands of people in Hawaii that got this. This is not a drill. This is not a drill. No internet yes. connection again. Our internet is going in and out and in and out. Switch over to T-Mobile. All right. It's time. And now for the real thing. Jesus, this is a crazy show. See you in a few. Welcome back, everyone. You're listening to the Future Now Show with Dr. and Mrs. Future, a.k.a. Lundell and son, Mrs. Lundell. Future, mm -hmm. Lundell, and Bobby Wilder, our science correspondent in San Francisco. Hi. Okay. Yeah, I'm here. Beautiful right. day here in San Francisco. Yeah. Oh, good. Yeah, it is here, too. Beautiful, beautiful weather. Now, one of the big topics that is ready for an update from us is the whole idea of wireless electricity. That was originally an idea of Tesla over 100 years ago, where we didn't have to have all these ungodly wires carrying power to and fro around the planet. You know how much copper has been used in wires over the years? Well, wireless electricity was invented, interestingly enough, by Tesla over 100 years ago. And it looks like, finally, that over 100-year-old dream just might turn into reality. There's now the advent of several new approaches towards wireless power, some of which you guys are probably familiar with out there. The wireless charging, for example, with the phones, inductive charging, that's probably the most obvious one. Uh, electric cars are going to be having similar types of little inductance systems that will allow you to charge your car without actually having to plug it in. And then there's the whole other approaches of getting large amounts of electricity for your house purely wirelessly. Now, how is this possible? Well, there are several approaches. The original approach, which was Nikola Tesla back in 1891, he designed the Tesla coil. And the Tesla coil was a cool device that you've probably seen sparks come from it and sort of thing. It's very archetypal electrical device. It looks like a, a tower with a big giant uh, donut at the top of it with lots of wires in the tower. The idea is that it works on the principle of electrical resonance. Wasn't resonance. there a Burning Man character? Yes, there Metatron was. Metatron. There's um, 
Dr. Megawatt. Dr. Megawatt yes. would use mm. a Tesla coil to Oh, he had two of them. Two of them. They up. would interact with each other. Yeah, and, and he he'd would stand in electrocute between. himself in the middle. Well, he wouldn't electrocute. I mean, he'd keep he'd surviving. He'd suit. He wore a big suit that protected him, and he did oh. all kinds of tricks with it, which is right. a lot of fun to watch. Yeah. But the Tesla coil, one of the things that we're mentioning it now is because that was the first gadget that could transmit electricity without wires. I mean, Tesla used to have little gas tubes, kind of like today's fluorescent tubes, and they would be able to be lit up by the coil from a distance. Oh, and if you do find yourself in Minneapolis, you can go to the back of the museum where they actually have one of these tubes that were part of the early electricity experiments in the time of Benjamin Franklin. It was a party trick to... (laughs) hold up one of these tubes containing, say, a neon gas and generate an electric shock with it because it collects the electrostatic currencies. Yes, it was also quite a thrill to get an electric shock back in the day. Mm -hmm. That's what made electricity real. It did for the kids at the Beckett Museum. When they (laughs) felt an electric shock, boy, that suddenly becomes very real. Yeah. Not just that invisible thing called electricity. Yeah. Well, people really didn't know much about it 200 years ago. No, they learned a lot. The Leyden jar, I think, was the the first things that Benjamin Franklin played with. Mm -hmm. And that was a glass tube that was used to concentrate this electrostatic energy so that you could give people a bigger shock. (laughs) The trouble with that approach is that it only conducted uh, electricity wirelessly over short distances. It had limited potential, and it didn't turn out to be a very practical application for truly wireless electricity transfer. It was pretty much overused by guys at parties doing shock treatment or as a party trick. Yeah, get wet, wireless <laughs> electricity transfer. Like, come over here and I'll shock you. Yeah. But Tesla thought more about this, and he worked on building an energy station that could conduct high-voltage, high-power wireless power transmission. Mm. And that's WPT. Mm-hmm. I like WET better, but... Wireless power transmission, I guess is what they called that. Mm -hmm. And through this experiment, Tesla aimed to transmit messages. He was trying to get at least simple messages like dots and dashes over long distances. Like Morse code, right. Mm -hmm. And he saw how you could have a global network by having strategically placed towers or a system of suspended balloons. Sure. Now, all of this is before the invention of radio. Yeah, before, before. before, 1890s. 1890s, 1890s. right. So electricity was not a thing. It was the frontier of science at that time. That's right. And he actually built a tower in Long Island called uh, Wardenclyffe Tower, Mm -hmm. which he believed could demonstrate the idea that he had about long-range wireless electricity. And even though the initial versions would be like Morse code, he could see how audio and ultimately video, could be transmitted this way, as well as energy, as well as raw power itself. That the earth would be the transmitter of the power rather than wires, and that you could stick a couple of poles in the ground and get all the power that you needed anywhere on the planet. Mm. And, of course, the business model was to sell people those poles, well, the, which they would only <laughs> have to buy one time. One pole does all. Right. Now, that wasn't a big enough investment Uh, opportunity for J.P. Morgan, so he refused to provide more funds for Tesla's experiments along these lines, and the project was shut down (laughs) Well, he just wanted a toll road. He wanted something he could charge people over and over again. You want a toll road, you want bills every month. We want tickets, tickets to ride. We don't don't want want to sell people the car. Buy once, free for life kind of deal. You Mm -hmm. don't want that. Mm -hmm. You want pay every month kind of deal. 
And that's where wires really proved their worth. And even though they were expensive to put in, mm -hmm. the wired system mm -hmm. was able to be monitored and regulated. Kind of like uh, churches are with God, you know? They sort of like the toll booth to the divine. In this case, it's the toll booth to power. You're talking about wireless power and God in the same yeah, sense? Yeah, because... <laughs> Because I guess that's the original wireless. Power, that's the isn't analogy, it? Mrs. Future. It's the link <laughs> to the divine is usually through a church or through a certain control apparatus uh -huh. that regulates your connection. Uh huh. In this case, it's a, a, a wire. Pay a pay toll. Yeah, yeah. It, <laughs> yeah through a system. The, you know. The, now it's wireless. You know, one of the things that impressed me about the toll roads on the East Coast, which we just came from, were that they are now without toll booths. They are boothless. Much like here. So the technology has evolved so that basically you can go over a bridge or down the road for a bit and just get charged by how far you went or what bridge you went over. And you don't even know it. You don't get any. Well, you do when the bill well, comes you in the, the mail. Bill comes in. We've done a few of those bills. <laughs> yeah. But the surveillance state is now yeah. just photographing your license plate wherever you are in the country and sending you a bill. Yeah. You know, the big complexity to that was going through rush hour in Chicago and having Google Maps live. And we were trying to negotiate through this. And their way of doing it was by pulling us on and off of roads constantly to avoid traffic, especially as it got bad in, in locations we'll be approaching in 10 minutes from now. They would route us around that. So we were constantly going on and off roads for about an hour. And many of them were toll roads that we were going on and off of. And I can't wait to see what bill comes in. <laughs> from the Google AI trying to help us we were avoiding traffic. Google didn't care about the tolls. The bills we came in. They we were for that. they were exactly what the Google map told us they would be, which I don't know if you've navigated yeah, so any good. toll roads that's good. So using I'm, Google, I'm happy but about that. that's... it definitely lets you know before you get on the road and commit yourself how much your tolls are going to be. And but when you go exactly on and off the right. road, a, a toll road a few times, it doesn't create a ridiculous amount of money. Well, That's it good. creates, it was the government that created the ridiculous amount of money that they charged. Google Initially, just told yeah. you how much it was. Yeah, they were accurate about that. Then. Yes, That's very good. accurate. Because I was worried about that. Going on and off several times, I thought might add up, but it's like mm -hmm. going over a bridge several times. Yeah, I think that had to do with our navigation settings because they, for some reason, originally they were set to avoid tolls. Yeah. And so it kept taking us off the freeway because it was a toll road and then getting us back on again. And it was kind of silly. Yeah, it was. It was. Let's get back on track with this story here. Yeah. We're talking about wireless power. Yes. And in the 70s, remember the L5 Society and the idea of, of having floating communities in space? Mm. Is that, that was one a big of the, deal. Uh, that was, that's one of the natural gravity balances. Lagrange point five. Lagrange. It's like a stable area mm -hmm. in space where the you, gravity uh, between the Earth and the Moon and the Sun cancels out, so yeah, that you and you're can in a stationary stay location, in a stationary orbit forever. And the idea was that you could, like the James Webb Telescope, is in a Lagrange point. That's correct. Not five. I think it's, I think it's two or something like that. The idea here is that. This would be an opportunity to create not just a community there, but a revenue generator. And that would be to create large solar panels in space and send them to the Earth because you would have 24-7 unlimited, unlimited solar energy that you could just beam to the Earth. 
So somehow it's better to have a solar panel in space than yeah. on, on the ground no side dirt, of the atmosphere. No weather, like, just constant sun so all the time. clouds won't be in the way of no beaming atmosphere. the electricity back to Earth. Right, right, right. It's just uh, clean. It's just really clean. But the trick is, how do you send all that electricity you're generating in space to the Earth? Yeah, it and sounds kind of dangerous. the method of doing it? I mean, look at those solar electric plants in the middle of the desert that are frying all those birds. It's a, yeah, well, you know, I'm not sure you want to have a satellite well, you have system to be aware. up in space well, sending that down to there's the always, There's always the people who are going to say no. But the idea is that you've got to do a proof of concept. You've got to see how much this is actually possible. And to do that, recently Caltech has announced that one of their board members, Donald Bren, who's also the owner of a real estate investment firm called Irvine Company, he is donating $100 million dollars to Caltech for their Space Solar Power Project. It's called the SSPP, Space Solar Power Project. I think that doesn't quite pay for one Falcon launch. but $100 okay. million. Dollars. Mm-hmm. It's a start, okay? Yeah, it's, it's great. It's a start. It's that'll, a, get them, that'll get them a long way And the it. idea here is that they're going to use microwave-based wireless energy network that would consistently supply power anywhere on Earth. They'd be able to beam power down to anywhere on Earth from space. And the idea is that they use microwaves. Microwave radiation is turned into direct current electric power through the use of a microwave receiver and what's called a DC rectifier, a DC rectifier. Mm -hmm, Direct current. It's being explored since the 70s. The Japanese team had a high-efficiency microwave power transmission of 84% back in the 70s, and they've been working on sending more and more power since then. And the goal is to achieve a high-power, high-energy transfer over long distances. They believe that microwave can act as an efficient wireless source of power. Now, they're trying other things, too, with that. Like, there's a group at the University of Tsukuba, Japan, that are planning to launch rockets into space using this as a source of power. I'd be interested to see how they think that can happen. <laughs> because right now, rockets use rocket fuel, and the rocket fuel accounts for about 90% of the weight of the rocket. And if you can eliminate that load, that overhead of 90% with microwave-based wireless energy technology, hmm. I'd like to see it. I guess they should maybe team up with Sling Launch, right? <laughs> sling Launch, Sling yes. Launch and That's like a, Space Microwaves yes, to get to yeah. space without gas. Yeah. <laughs> sling Launch is fascinating, too, but it's, it's not an energy generator. It's, it's basically a catapult sending something into space directly. Mm-hmm. Microwave, then, it looks like a very promising way of doing it. So you basically have all this power up in space. You beam it down through a tight microwave beam. And it would hit a receiver on the Earth, and then you'd be able to distribute it there. And you could have receivers all over the planet, and you'd be able to just beam it to where you need it. Well, okay? you know what I have to say to that? What's that? Oh, okay. When we come back, we'll talk about a whole other way of transmitting power besides microwave. Wake up to Sleepy John and Luigi the Computer Man. You'll get an hour of news you can use and debate. You'll also get an hour of Luigi the Computer Man who will take your calls and solve your problems. What could be more fun than Sleepy John and Luigi the Computer Man? That's Thursdays from 3 to 5 on SantaCruzVoice.com. 
That's Sleepy John and Luigi the Computer Man. That's Thursdays from 3 to 5 on SantaCruzVoice.com. It's Locals Live! With your hosts, Jake Stenton and Jeff Eitman. Coming to you live from Santa Cruz, California. Your Saturday destination, holding it down from 10 a.m. to noon. The best of Santa Cruz. Sports, people, places, what's happening? Let's not forget about History Corner on the Voice of Santa Cruz, Santa Cruz Voice, live streaming at santacruzvoice.com. I'm Amy Lamb. And I'm Marlene Olson. Join us every Friday for the Time Out Radio Show. That's Fridays, 11 to 1 Pacific Time. You like to travel, so join me, Michael Olson, Wednesdays at 11 and Saturdays at 9 as we travel up and down the food chain for some What's Eating What? Food Chain Radio. We'll go to the front lines of eating to live and living to eat. We'll ask tough questions and toss easy answers. It's you and me on the trail of what's eating what on the food chain. Wednesdays at 11 and Saturdays at 9. Right here on SantaCruzVoice.com. Let's roll. Okay, welcome back to the show. We were just talking about an update on the wireless transmission of power. Yes. And we just finished uh, a conversation on microwaves as a way of sending power over a distance. Another approach is laser transmission. Mm-hmm. Okay, and the solid-state laser diodes of today uh, that are used commercially in fiber optics, uh, those are excellent for this. A laser transmission allows you to send a beam of light and allow a photovoltaic receiver to receive the laser beam and generate power from that. So the merit of laser-based power transmission is that laser beams can be controlled more easily for long-distance wireless electrical transmission. They've really come a long way with laser beams and power in the last few years. Yeah. seems to me we went to a future tech show in San Francisco, maybe around 2005, and the ability to translate laser into power, according to a NASA tech at that show, was really limited in terms of efficiency. Yeah, like it, it was only about 15%, and that was considered a maximum amount of transmission. You know, yeah, so yeah, no, it's a gotten a lot loss. better. Much, much better. And you know who's ahead of this whole thing? Who? There's a company in New Zealand called MROD. M-R-O-D. E-M-R-O-T, yeah, New, New Zealand <laughs> Energy Startup. And they're testing a prototype wireless energy system in New Zealand. And if this is successful, they'll be pushing the government there to set up a wireless transmission throughout the country. Now, they're, they're using a wireless network of antennas and what are called rectennas, which are rectifying antennas. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that carries energy in the form of long-range electromagnetic waves from one point to the other. Mm-hmm. And electricity is conducted via the antennas in the form of a non-ionizing beam. That means it doesn't heat things up, right? That's right. It says a frequency kind of in the radio wave, equivalent to radio waves. Hmm. According to the company, a, quote, 
low-power laser safety curtain ensures that the transmission beam immediately shuts down before any transient object, i.e. a bird or a plane or a helicopter, can reach the main beam, ensuring it never touches anything except clean air. That's interesting. So they're Close putting quiet. in an animal safety system. Yeah. You don't want to fry birds. Well, that was my big concern when you were talking about it, because I know that's the pass through the beam. criticism of some of those solar laser tech. Yeah. You don't want to do that. Places. So they have a safety curtain. That's great. It makes sense, because if you're using lasers, you should be able to shut the thing off before an animal gets in there. Right. Right. You yeah. just have to yeah. think about it, a, detect it. You have it. a boundary around it. I guess you, you can pick up in, uh, things going into it, shut I'm it down. I'm glad to hear they're thinking about that kind of thing. So this is really suitable because there you could zero in on areas in New Zealand that are mountainous terrain with varying weather patterns. And the Rectenna wireless electricity transfer tech would uh, work for those areas. It would be a boon for them where it's really hard to put in traditional power grids because of geographical restrictions. So when the project is backed by the New Zealand government, as the AMRAD CEO hopes, Greg Kirshner, he anticipates that people are going to not necessarily accept it right away, that they'll think that wireless electricity, I mean, what does that do to me? I mean, is it like 5G then causing cancer or something? What transmitting power is not, can't be good for you if you run into it. So he says the real challenge is not so much just the technology of doing this, but to assure people that wireless electricity doesn't lead to harmful effects. Well, I think when people think of wireless electricity, there's two ways you can think about it. One is all of the devices that are now using magnetic conductance. That's wireless, right? Yeah. And wherever there's electricity, there's magnetism. So you have to really understand what's going on with the electrical signal, with the magnetic signal, and with the heat signal. So all of those different frequencies are needing a lot more research now that we have more ways of looking at it. It's true. These are the early days. I mean, we really, really need to understand how biology plays with electricity. And, you know, and and really know how that all works. And it's not something that's taught in the medical schools. They're so chemically driven mm-hmm. rather than physics driven in their thinking. Yeah, well, that's because uh, and, of all of those practical jokes using electric sparks of those scientists 100 years ago. Yeah, you know? yeah. yeah. <laughs> that really soured the medical profession on looking into electricity, electricity. as a healing device. <laughs> electricity is Frankenstein. <sighs> it's electroshock. It's really... In, in most people's minds. It can go a lot deeper, though. I mean, there are subtle uses. There are ways in which nature uses electricity all the time, sure. especially in our bodies. That's quite fascinating. Well, and really the cutting-edge research on the relationship of electricity and yeah. light, electromagnetic spectrum and light. Yes, light and health. That's something uh, Bobby's been into quite a bit, infrared light. Yeah, if you just go on YouTube and you Whatever ails you, you just type that in and then you type in infrared or near infrared or low level laser or photobiomodulation is the new word now. You can help diminish pain or improve anything from Alzheimer's, Parkinson's. It's amazing what's out there, what infrared has done. And it was all due to NASA in 2006. They were trying to figure out how do we help astronauts that might get injured in space without taking a whole huge container of drugs up in space? So they looked at, well, there's a lot of infrared up there. Can that actually heal people? 
And sure enough, all this whole industry came out of that research that NASA did yeah. in 2006. And, and that's so instrumental to understand that and how that interacts with this wireless electricity. How do we know that it's safe to do this? How does it affect biology? Yeah. Well, this might be an interesting segue into the article you have about the awarding of the Nobel. Yes, I can see that. Not quite ready yet. No, because I want to mention before we leave this topic specifically about some other companies that are involved with that. There is some groundbreaking work going on beyond Amrod. There is an American company called Wireless Advanced Vehicle Electrification. So this is directly related to our cars. And these are charging systems Mm, that can be installed, say, on the floor of your garage or parking areas that will just charge up your car without having to plug anything in. Mm. And there is a group in Indiana, the Indiana Department of Transportation, the INDOT, is working with Purdue University and a German cement company called Magment. Magment. And they're testing magnetic cement roads that could charge electric vehicles while they move on them. Oh, I love this idea. Right. Yeah. So the That's whole traffic idea. system becomes like a maglev, except it's... Charges your in, car. It's inductive electrical. And they will conduct tests to see the viability of these magnetized roads by initially building a 400 meter or 1300 foot test highway using magnetic cement. And this will be in Indiana. Indiana Department of Transportation is doing this. Mm. They'll be conducting that with 200 kilowatt powered trucks. And if it turns out to be successful, the state will be using that technology for public roads. Mm. Yeah. Amazing. Remember the articles we used to have on solar friggin' roadways? It's solar, yeah. This yeah. is magnetic. Solar freaking roadways. roadways. Yeah, right. <laughs> right. This is part of yeah. a bigger project called Aspire, A-S-P-I-R-E. When Tesla has their trucking system where they can move these large semis across. It would be interesting to put those on these magnetic cement highways. And so they wouldn't have to charge. They could have a special lane. I'm sure Elon Musk could afford to do this, (laughs) a mag lane, just for their trucks or whatever, or even their Teslas. Yeah, yeah. I think especially totally autonomous trucks with inductive wireless charging technology. Yes, it's Uh, it's a natural. Especially uphills. I think especially (laughs) uphills. Yes. Yeah. Moving around, it'll make it so much easier to move stuff around on the planet. It's unbelievable. Yeah. This is part of ASPIRE, which stands for Advancing Sustainability Through Power Infrastructure and Road Electrification. That is an initiative sponsored by the National Science Foundation, as well as public and private institutes associated with them. So that's pretty much in the works right now. Wireless transmission of power is moving forward rather rapidly. And I wouldn't be surprised if you know, we'll be seeing autonomous vehicles on roads that are charging vehicles, and it just is a matter of course over the next 10 years. I think the whole show today is so focused on the micro technologies, the technologies going all the way down to photonic beams of light. Right. And the Nobel Prize happens to have been awarded to someone doing research in that field. Yes, this year's awards were to Pierre Agostini, Ferenc Cruz, and Anne Hollier, who split an award for their ability to picture nature in a billionth of a billionth of a second. It's super short pulses. They're on the scale of what they call attoseconds, a billionth of a billionth of a second. It's so short that there are as many attoseconds in a single second as there have been seconds in the entire 
history of the universe. <laughs> Think about that for a moment. That's short. That is <laughs> the number of seconds that have happened in the universe so far. In yeah. one second, it's awarded for, quote, experimental methods that generate attosecond pulses of light for the study of electron dynamics and matter. Now, why is this important? Well, remember back in the late 19th century, photographers were using cameras to determine whether a, a horse took all its hooves off the ground at a gallop. Now, that was a process too fast for the human eye to discern. And that was the Muybridge experiments. Their very first motion photography was looking at horses' hooves to see if any of them were still on the ground or at any all the time. And it turns out that horses do completely leave the ground. <laughs> so today's researchers hoping that attosecond timescales using ultra-fast lasers will give us a much clearer view of what otherwise is extremely blurry, and that is the atomic processes themselves. Looking at the way electrons move around atoms, seeing it clearly rather than as a fuzzy spot on your lens. <laughs> it's so ultra-fast that we just might be able to see all the things that go on on that level of universe. Yes! It's pretty exciting. The dream is to see all those little components like electrons move around clearly. This is what's becoming closer and closer to reality. And what's exciting for many is that one of the awardees is a woman. Ooh! La Hoyer. She's a woman who everyone agrees deserves it. Generating light at short pulses was not an easy process. We have an article in Scientific American up on our website at drfutureshow.com slash links that get into the details of this. Talk about the backstory of getting beyond the femtosecond regime, which is a femtosecond is where we were for a while. That's a thousand attoseconds and getting down into attoseconds as the shortest pulse that we can create. I watched the Nobel Awards and I found a very interesting question that one of the reporters asked. Did this affect the Heisenberg principle that you cannot know where the electron is at any one moment? And they said, no, it doesn't. Because you could tell what side of the molecule or the atom the electron is. It's either this side or that side, but still there is a fuzziness of where its position would be. It doesn't disprove the Heisenberg principle. Anyway. Well, how would you show that things pop in and out of existence? I, th I thought electrons on that level just disappear and come back in again. And I guess well, the I, way they I, disappear I, I mean, would be something we yeah. could film then. It's just that you don't know the position of something. It could be possible that an electron from your eye could be out there on Mars at one moment and then come back in to your eye at another moment. Yeah. That's possible, but the probability is so small. So that's the uncertainty principle of its position. You know, it could be anywhere. Isn't it um, also that you're dealing with such small levels of universe that your very fact that you're observing something is affecting it? The observation itself is impacting what you observe. That's true, too. Just observing something will change the outcome. <laughs> I guess it goes to like the Schrodinger cat experiment yes. in, in a box. So just by observing it, you might change the outcome. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what we come up with. Or is it quantum entanglement? Are you always connected and your movement here changes that movement there? Yeah. They say that attosecond pulses 
that they send down there are so precise that they can be used to nudge electrons. So that's where the observer is nudging the electrons. <laughs> and this wow. could potentially elicit a shift from that passive observation to active control of chemistry. All right, So we might be able to affect chemistry on unprecedented scales. Mm-hmm. So if we could nudge electrons around, maybe that'd be another level of creating things. They were also discovering that these electrons, depending on which valence shell it came out of, yeah. actually came out at different speeds, which mm. they never did. They thought they moved at the same speed, but they actually can be ejected out of a shell at different speeds. Different speeds. Maybe that gives before. them different capabilities at different speeds. Well, what they're, they're yeah, also but, saying is yeah. that these pulses can control the properties of solids, i.e. like turning an insulator into a conductor and then back again in a flash. Like a semiconductor. Yes, you can control (laughs) the properties of solids by playing with the light. Mm -hmm. It shows how light, understanding how the interplay of light with matter can create things, can create stuff, create chemistry, create flow of electricity. Back to that infrared information, Uh they're saying that infrared can influence the ATP cycle in the mitochondria and actually generate energy. And I find that to be true. If you do some experiments and you put it on different parts of your head, an infrared laser, it'll stimulate ideas. It wakes me up every morning. This is how I wake up. Instead of having coffee, I just put this infrared lamp at the back of my head and it actually activates the hippocampus. And all of a sudden it's like, I'm awake within five or 10 seconds. It's that fast. Mm. (laughs) It's crazy. Wow. So you use it instead of coffee in the morning? (laughs) Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Great. Before I used to take a hot shower, that would wake me up. But now this infrared lamp is the best. Yeah, Mm -hmm. it's it's great. That's amazing. (laughs) Wow. You're very sensitive. Yeah. And that's something we can really all play with is the light. It's one of those things that's outside of the control of anyone because it's so easy to acquire and play with. Yeah. So So what I'm saying is light can affect these electron shells and move them into a different state and add energy. In the ATP cycle, you're using oxygen and actually these electrons from oxygen to actually create the energy, the ATP cycle. What infrared does, it introduces it instead of chemically introducing these either ions or electrons into the cycle, it actually introduces infrared frequencies that imitate this electron and give it energy. Yeah. So it's, it's like how photosynthesis works, where yeah. light energy can produce sugars in the plant and that produces energy. Yes. Well, yes. infrared could work on human beings, on their brains, and, or whatever ails you in your body and add electrons to it. Is there a particular experiment you're working on now yourself with this, Bobby? With you? you know, the most interesting is going outside and grounding yourself. Or I got this grounding mat that I plug into the wall, into the third plug in the grounded socket. Uh-huh. And it turns out when you're in an electrical storm where there's lightning or happening, and you think the electrons are coming from the sky, from the cloud down to the ground. No, it's actually the opposite. So what I'm doing is I'm getting grounded and then I take the infrared and these extra electrons are coming through my feet on the pad. And then the infrared is actually utilizing those electrons in my body. 
And so I get an extra benefit by grounding. Or you could do this yourself. All you have to do is go to the beach at sunset. You could do a little bit of solar gazing or just bathe in the sun. That is probably the best thing where subtly over time, you will feel some energy just from that. I sure love to lie out in the sun. This time time of year is incredible for being outside and feeling the sun. It's not too strong, not too soft. It's warm enough to be able to fall asleep and wake up pleasantly while on a lounge chair. It's perfect, perfect for for, uh, playing with solar energy. I notice my I face mean, is know, particularly we, sensitive. So, oh, is it? But what I find also mm-hmm. is that it's a really great idea to slowly move different parts of your body and feel, with your eyes closed, feel how the heat is penetrating your skin and be able to tune yeah. into that direct effect that the solar radiation is having on your experience. Just play yes. with it a little bit and you can see what it is capable of. You know, it's, it's very powerful. You can try this too. If it's noon time, just have your back and hold your head down and get the sun's direct rays in the back of your head so it goes down through the center mm-hmm. where the emphasis is. Yeah. That's an interesting effect. It's subtle, but you can feel it. The back of your neck? Yeah, the back of your neck. Mm-hmm. You just bend your head down and the sun's coming down on the back of your neck. There's a hole there in the skull. so. It's very easy for light to come in mm. and hippocampus at that point. Give it so, a shot. I'll do it tonight, right after the so, show. So, for our guests yeah, arrive. It, it, yeah, noontime, not at sunset, but at noontime where it's too bright to stare at the sun with your eyes. You know, just turn your back to it and yeah. try that. Okay. And yeah. put your feet in the sand. Ground yourself. At oh, the yes. Same time. I'll do that at the beach. Yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah. Scientists have said they've found a huge number of these mysterious circles around the world and where they come from. They've been using AI to analyze Google Earth and images of the Earth, and researchers are finding these mysterious fairy circles in hundreds of locations across the globe. Mm -hmm. These are like unusual round vegetation patterns that are puzzling the experts, and they seem to dot the globe, particularly in the Namib Desert and the Australian Outback. There's a new study that was just published in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences that this phenomenon is actually far more widespread than previously thought, and it kind of cracks the case wide open as to what they are. An international team has been training a neural network by feeding it about 15,000 satellite images of these circles. And they're analyzing these views to see if they can figure them out. The AI has identified them in 263 dryland locations in 15 countries so far. Hmm. Africa, Madagascar, Western Asia, Southwest Australia, hot and sandy locations, places that get very little rainfall, four to 12 inches a year. What are they? What are these? Are they naturally occurring? They seem to be. Does it say how big they are? No. It reminds me of being in the desert and when the rain drops initially, you'll see these little circles on the dust collect. Yes. And it does look like they have these, the little nipple in the center of the circle. So it looks like it's an impact of some kind. An impact. That's what yeah. it reminds me. You know, yeah. on uh, yeah. on the Gaia channel, there's a researcher named Michael Tellinger who has done a whole bunch of archaeological research into 
what he thinks of as ancient cultures that were structured around this kind of circular architecture. And his focus is on these circular architectures as a form of nature amplification systems. Nature amplification systems. Yeah, yeah. He's got, he thinks that they're maybe used as sonic temples or they may amplify things like wind or they may amplify certain natural features of the local environment. Anyway, he's got some really interesting shows about that on the Gaia channel. Michael Tellinger. Michael Tellinger. Well, others suggest that they're created by self-organizing plants. Self-organizing plants, whatever that, that means. form perfect circles. <laughs> oh, let's get together uh. and form a circle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, some plants that like to do that. Others think termite activity under the soil. Yeah, well, again, termites. it'd be nice to know if we're looking at something that's an inch or a foot or a few miles. Well, it's got to be fairly big, otherwise the satellites couldn't Yeah, that's up. what I think. I think yeah. it's got to be the size of like a small town, maybe. Yeah. Or a building, maybe. Well, this image has a truck there, and it's about like a... A oh, large that's moving true, band. Yes. That's and big. So that's big. I think the diameters of these things look like at least 20 feet in diameter or larger. Yeah. That's what they look like yeah. if, if I'm looking at the truck right. Yes, that's a good um, observation, Bobby. Do you yes. think that it might be some kind of minefield? It could be a debris field of maybe a meteorite or a meteor hitting the ground or pieces of it scattered about. Yeah, I wonder, are there that many termites? (laughs) I don't know. It reminds me of those cluster bombs in Ukraine kind of thing, you know. Cluster mites, strange life forms. Or banyan trees grow like this, you know. They do, but I don't see any trees there. Yeah, I I know, but what could have been before, Uh there was vegetation that grew. Like they're, like they're a happen. remnant of uh, some prior process. Yeah. Modern mysteries, folks. Yeah. <laughs> New evidence that Europa could harbor life. Scientists have confirmed the presence of a carbon dioxide on Europa, on the surface of Europa. That's one of Jupiter's largest moons, one of the Galilean moons. Mm-hmm. And Europa yeah. is completely covered by a sheet of ice. And underneath it, we believe that there's a massive ocean of salty liquid water, complete with a rocky ocean floor, somewhat like we might find in our Antarctic or Arctic regions. But this James Webb's telescope has confirmed the presence of carbon dioxide on Europa on the surface in the ice sheet. This is interesting because on Earth, all life is carbon-based. So finding a confirmed source of carbon on another planet is a good selling point for hoping that life either might be there or life might move in, (laughs) (laughs) depending on how you look at it. And they say that the evidence suggests that the carbon on Europa came from the subsurface of the ocean and came relatively recently, geologically speaking. If carbon was old, it probably wouldn't still be there. So they think it's relatively young, and it probably wasn't put there by something like a meteor impact because it's so young. It could be the product of some active process that's actually going on beneath the ice. Mm. So it's a good reason why we should have a probe going there. And hey, guess what? We do. It's called the Europa Clipper mission from NASA, and it's going to be doing flybys of that little icy moon, and we'll be looking at its geology and its chemistry. It'll be launched in about a year from now, next October. Yeah, it'll reach the Jovian system in 2030 and start giving us, shed some light there. And Bobby, last week we promised 
a little bit of information about these new computer chips that are pushing the limits of using oh, analog in chips. In 30 seconds or less. Is there something you can do in 30 seconds? Yeah, of course. Yeah, go for it. I would Talk say fast. when we think of digital, processing is done with the CPU and then it goes out to memory. Right. And it takes so much energy to go back and forth. But yep. the brain works differently. The processing is is with the memory. And that's what these new analog chips do. They use a lot less power and they're many, many times more efficient. They can have some errors, but it's up to 92%, but it's perfect for AI. By 2030, they're saying 20% of the world's energy will be used for AI if we use the traditional digital chips. Yeah. That's not a good deal. So we need to save that energy for other things right. and be much more efficient. And so either analog or using light as processing could save a lot of energy. Yeah, light and analog combined with digital. So the AIs in the future will definitely use this analog. Yeah, technology. so there's a video we have up on that, on the new IBM's new analog chip for AI with processing information. Analog plus digital is the new AI. You can get a combination of both. Yeah, Thanks, everybody. Thank have you. Have a great week. Have a great future. Yeah. See you every Tuesday. Yeah. yeah, thanks, Bobby. Yeah, of course. And thank and you. Enjoy. Everybody else. Yeah, bye. thank you. Oh, yes. Bye-bye. Gab, gabs.